Hi everyone, thank you for joining us for another episode of The Scrub Life. My name is Chris Blevins and I am the clinical coordinator for the surgical technology program at Tarrant County College. Um, this episode is number four in a series that we have featured um, for our surgical technology class of 2018. It's a group exercise where our students created a podcast um, including interviews, um, pertinent information for the OR for today, and Ashley, Ryan, and Thalia's group project is what you're going to hear in this episode. So please enjoy, um, share for those that you feel would be interested, and here we go. Good morning. Welcome to this episode of The Scrub Life. My name is Ryan Lamb, and I'm here with Thalia Sassman and Ashley Jones. We are members of the TCC Surgical Tech Program. We have gathered some questions from family, friends, co-workers, and strangers about the ins and outs of surgery. And what is it really like? Ashley, I'll start off by passing the mic off to you. Um, one of the most frequent questions I got was, do we take selfies in the OR? <laughs> um, I think that is a common misconception from a lot of television shows and movies. Um, my sister asked me this question because she saw an episode of The Resident where they were taking selfies and it distracted the doctor and then it just became a big chaotic mess. No, uh, as students, we don't even take our phones into the hospital at all. I leave my phone in my car. We're going to protect the privacy of every patient. So we don't have our phones with us in the operating room. Anybody who does have their phone on them, I've never seen anybody take a picture. I've seen the doctors use their phones to call their offices or call other doctors. It's really just used for, it's just a tool to, for them to. Yeah, like professionally, they're yeah. using it for professional reasons, yeah. I don't really think anyone is going to take the risk or at least 99.9% of the people in the OR aren't going to take the risk of taking pictures in the OR just because it could be a HIPAA violation. You never know what you're going to get in the background of that picture. You don't want to get anything that could do with the patient because then you got a lawsuit on your hand. Right, definitely. And I've never really seen anybody use any uh, <clears throat> personal devices to take pictures in there. If there are pictures taken, it's really contained, and it's it's from one of the scopes and the camera cord. Everybody's just afraid of getting sued and the HIPAA violations, things like that. And it's it's usually a pretty serious place, and you're not going to see anybody in there taking pictures and posting them on Facebook or Twitter. It's just not going to happen. All right, another question that we got asked a lot of is, what do you wear? So, um, whenever you come into the hospital. You're gonna come in usually in either street clothes or your own personal scrubs. What you do is you come into the locker room and you get the hospital scrubs. Um, you change into those and then you're gonna put on shoe covers and a little bouffant hat to protect um, just so your shoes aren't open in the OR and so your hair is out of the way. And then whenever you're actually scrubbing into the procedure, you're gonna put on a protective gown, which is for the most part waterproof or bloodproof in that case. Right. And then you're gonna put on um, sterile gloves, which usually you put on two pairs, you put on an under pair, which has a coloring to it. So if there's a hole in your top pair, you can actually see it, um, which is really helpful for any kind of sticks or anything like that. That's an interesting point. And uh, am I a 
you know, I wear, we all wear the same attire, but also uh, shoe covers. I see a lot of people not wearing them, but I prefer to wear them. This makes me feel more, just a little bit safer. Something doesn't go into my socks or, you know, you never know what these, what's going on. Yeah, you don't want to take anything home right. that you didn't come with. <laughs> Definitely. And something that's really funny is you see a lot in movies and TV, they are not wearing proper OR attire. Um, in Grey's Anatomy, I know a lot of the women have like loose hairs going down their face and they look really pretty. It's not like that in real life. I watched Doctor Strange the other day. Oh. He's performing surgery and nobody in the operating room is wearing a mask whatsoever. We have to wear masks as soon as we start opening sterile supplies. It's just best practice. No one expects you in the OR to look pretty. We're all there to save people's lives, not Definitely. do a fashion show. No one's really worried about that. Right. Next question we have is, is there music played in the OR? Ryan? Music, um, in a lot of my procedures, I've seen country, you know, it's, it's all geographic. Where do they come from in Texas? Mm -hmm. you know, are they from out in Azle or Saginaw? You know, they're gonna listen to a lot of country and stuff like that. A lot of the inner city people listen to top 40. I've had a lot of older doctors, you know, listen to classical music, like Hannibal Lecter type music, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, personally, I kind of just tune it out, but you know, I like the classical stuff because I think it's kind of goofy, kind of funny. It really does set a good positive tone for the room and no matter what's playing, we all generally enjoy it. It's better than nothing. Yeah, I had one doctor tell the nurse, can you put on some country music? and it started playing Dixie Chicks, and he said, no, I want to hear country music. If it's not Johnny Cash or Hank Williams, it's not country music. Yeah, um, I've heard anything from like Kesha to ACDC. It's, it's whatever the doctor wants. I had a doctor once listen to this like extraterrestrial, really like pump you up music. <laughs> it's, it's really strange sometimes what they listen to, but I mean, it sets the tone. It usually makes everyone feel better. So yeah, there's a lot of different music played there. Uh, occasionally it does make it hard for all of us to understand each other. It's hard enough with our masks on and everything. Ashley, do you have any trouble understanding? Oh my gosh, at the beginning of this, when we started clinicals, I thought, I can't do this. I can't hear anything. But once you start learning different tricks, like I, I lean into the surgical field with my ear more. I've gotten to know some of the doctors because I've worked with them more than once. And so I know that they mumble, so I'm more prepared. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I can relate to that. In the very beginning of uh, clinicals, you know, I was kind of timid. It was kind of, I wasn't really a wallflower, but I didn't know how to be heard. But as time went on, I did more cases. I figured out that I needed to be more assertive, more loud. You know, because I don't really have a high-pitched voice, so sometimes it can kind of just go like, mm, like nobody hears it. <laughs> I figured out, you know, and, and with, it's different with every, you know, each circulator. Some people communicate different. You just have to be loud and assertive to get it done ASAP, because basically the bottom line is that you just don't want to waste time. If you fiddle-faddle around and you're not assertive to get, you know, what you need as far as, like, counts, a lot of times they'll be over there doing something else and you need to get a count done and you just have to say it as loud as you can. And they're not going to get mad at you. They're, we're all in the same boat. Speaking of counts, um, people are asking a lot about things being left in the patients. Mm -hmm. We count a lot during our procedures right. to ensure that things aren't left. Like how many counts do you think you do in each procedure, Ashley? You do at least two counts, one at the very beginning, one at the very end. If you are in a procedure where you're 
opening multiple layers, you will do multiple counts. Like in a hysterectomy, you, there's at least four counts that go on. Right. Definitely. Sometimes even more, especially when it comes to needles and stuff like that. You, good, a good tech, always very careful with needle counts. and That's something you don't want to get lazy with because that's when something gets left behind is when people get complacent. Fortunately, I haven't seen it happen in any of my cases because people are very diligent about the counts. And some, some nurses are a lot more strict about it, you know, which they should be, the good ones. And, yeah, and that's just how you prevent it from people getting malleables stuck inside of them and stuff like that. You know, stuff you see on the news of people getting, like, lap sponges that have been left in there for a month and they become septic. That's how you prevent it from, you know, I know it, it seems kind of daunting and monotonous, but that's just how you get it done. Yeah, counting is very important. And I think counting is important not only for the safety of the patient, but also for the safety of everyone around you. I like to count all my sharps before I throw them away in the needle box. Even after the patient's taken care of, the patient's moving out of the room, I still count my sharps because I want to make sure nothing gets sent down to sterile processing to harm somebody else. All right. So we have another interesting question. People talk about, what does it smell like in the OR? Um, it can be very unpleasant at times. Usually feet cases are the smelliest. A lot of necrotic dying tissue. Definitely. That's probably the worst, but we, we have this trick that we do. We put wintergreen or peppermint oh, on the inside of our mask. You smell that instead of smelling all the nasty stuff, you know? Oh yeah. Like I've had a, like, like you said about the feet, I've had some necrotic feet. I guess they were the diabetic patients and it's one, one of the worst smells I've ever smelled in my life. It was a necrotic foot and it, it was disgusting but like they did put uh, wintergreen on my mask and there's also the the bovie smell and I've been told it smells like Fritos <laughs> you know and it's a very interesting smell and it's hard to describe and it's really weird because sometimes it smells different than it did the other day or but it's just an interesting smell there's all kinds of there's also a real sterile smell and there's that smell of the gloves you come home from clinicals and that's that smell from the latex and you still smell the right. hibiclin soap oh, yeah. and you smell the avogard on your hands <laughs> mm -hmm. um one smell that really bothers me is the inside of people's mouths um oh, any kind of oral procedure that i've done if people are getting their teeth pulled it's because they're usually not taking care of them so therefore their mouths smell really bad. Another thing that smells at times is if there's a lot of blood, it can have a real metallic smell. And then that was another question that I got asked is, is surgery really bloody? It depends on the surgery, really. Um, there are a lot of steps that we can take to have a bloodless surgery. If we're working on extremities, we can use tourniquet to prevent the blood flow through the legs and arms. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, it's actually kind of surprising. You would think like heart surgery would be extraordinarily bloody, but I mean, usually if you're doing anything with the heart or the aorta, you would put the patient on bypass. So usually there's actually very little blood in procedures like that. Right. And you know, a lot of people, like a lot of my family members, that's the first thing they ask me is how graphic is it? How bloody? And surprisingly enough, it's pretty organized and everything's pretty contained. There's not just, you know, organs flying around the room and stuff <laughs> like that. It's pretty, usually all the action happens in that one, you know, draped off area. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much all I can say about that. This, you know, and another interesting question I was asked is, this is a, uh, I guess an ethical question, is there judgment on, you know, incarcerated patients, people that are being transported between prisons, they've just committed a crime, and what do you guys, you guys feel about that? Um, I've had a few patients come in the OR, shackled to the stretcher, 
um, and they're always accompanied by a police officer. Usually they stay either in the room or just right outside the, the OR door. And I don't pass judgment on any of them. I don't know why they're in prison or jail. I don't know. We don't know their history. We don't get to look at their charts or anything. And even then it wouldn't really tell us anything. I mean, we're all there to take care of the patients and to help heal them or make them feel better. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I think even if you did know what they did, it really doesn't matter. You know, you have to set all that stuff to the side whenever you're in situations like this because right. we're here to help every single patient that comes through our doors. We're here to save them. We're here to heal them. So, I mean, really, it's not our place to pass that kind of judgment. You don't, it, it really doesn't matter. And there's a, I've had a couple people ask me, do we pass judgment on people who have had self-inflicted wounds? You know, if people have done gunshot wounds to themselves, we don't pass any kind of judgment on them. We just want to take care of everybody the best that we can. A question that is commonly asked is, why can't you eat before surgery? So eating poses a risk during surgery whenever we're putting the breathing tube down your throat. So what could happen is you could actually vomit and then aspirate on it. And aspirating is essentially like drowning in your own vomit. Another thing is if we're doing anything in the belly, any kind of bowel procedure, we want the least amount of contamination as possible. We don't want any tearing of the bowel or anything, but if it does happen, we want the least amount of fecal matter in that bowel as possible. That way we don't uh, have infections and stuff like that and it could be easily cleaned. You know, the solution to pollution is, is dilution. dilution. <laughs> <laughs> it's really just best for everyone and for the safety of the patient. Just don't eat before you come to surgery. I know it sucks. I've had surgery myself and it got pushed back to like two o'clock in the afternoon and I, but you know what? We're here to take care of you. And when it's all over, you can go home and eat as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right, I had another interesting question asked to me the other day. Is it distracting to have a lot of people in the OR with you? I mean, you got students, you got residents, you got doctors and their assistants and nurses and people there training. Anesthesia. Device reps wandering around there trying to sell stuff to everybody. <laughs> And But from my experience, it just depends on the size of the room. Are the people, where are they? Are they close to your sterile field? That's when it becomes an issue for me as, as a scrub tech student. You know, because my job is to take care of that sterile field, make sure people don't touch things, because they will, if you're not watching them, they're sure they'll pick up something sterile and look at it, because they'll do it. A lot of those students are in there observing, they don't know anything about the sterile field, but it's, it's rarely an issue, you know, as long as you have a tough, stern control over what's going on. Yeah. But really, like I said, it just depends on the size of the room. How about you, Ashley? I think it is distracting having a lot of people in there, but I feel like also it kind of makes me a better scrub tech because I'm paying attention to more things. I'm right. keeping an eye on everybody and the procedure, so I'm learning how to multitask at the same time. I've had some medical students, they don't really know a lot about sterile technique. One of them, I asked him to help me put the cords on the drape and he was going to Velcro them down while well, he ripped the Velcro off the drape. and created a hole and then proceeded to stick his finger in the hole oh, goodness and so i said okay stop let's take your gloves off we'll get you new gloves and so we fixed it by putting a sterile towel over the hole and he just didn't understand why so yeah it is kind of distracting but you know keeping an eye on things is 
it just makes you a better scrub tech if you learn how to multitask like that. Yeah, it's very important to multitask as a scrub tech. You have to be watching every single person within the sterile field as well as being very focused on the surgeon and the patient's needs. So it does become very taxing, but it's an important job that we all have to do. Going uh, into distractions kind of reminds me of a question that I was asked, are the doctors mean? If the doctors are distracted by other people, they can get kind of crabby sometimes. Have y'all guys had any problems with any doctors? Not usually. I would say about 80 to 90% of the doctors I've experienced are pretty friendly, love to talk about, they love to answer, you know, any stupid question I have. And you got to understand that these people, you know, they went to school for like 12, 15 years, some of them. They're very, they've had a long time to build a lot of confidence and they just know what needs to be done and, and how to get it done. And if they're yelling at you to, you know, let's go, let's go, no, give me that. It's because they know what they're doing. They're not just trying to appear better than you. They're trying to get the job done and save the patient's life. So yeah, they, they need to be a little confident. And to some people that could come off as mean, but for me, you know, I have pretty thick skin. I've never really, I don't take anything that they say too personally. How about y'all? Yeah, that's a very good point, Ryan. You really have to just let it roll off your back because that surgeon is focused on that patient at that time. The entire team is just doing their best for that patient. And if the surgeon's gonna get a little crabby, it's just because they want what they want immediately. You know, they really care about that procedure and they care about that patient. I, I agree with that. You know, I've had a couple of doctors kind of be a little snippy at me if I wasn't getting anything done fast enough. But at the same time, I understand that I'm still learning and this is going to help me be a better scrub tech. Um, but I don't think their doctors are really mean to you intentionally. It's just they want what they want when they want it. And you know, you just let it roll off your skin because in, in about 10, 20 minutes, they're gonna forget about it anyways. Yeah. Another really funny question that I got, do patients pass gas while under anesthesia? And also if anyone in the room passes gas, is the room no longer sterile? Yes. People pass gas, everyone passes gas. Patients that are under anesthesia have no control over their body bodily functions. So yeah, sometimes a little gas comes out. Right. Um, it's really not that big of a deal and it does not make everything unsterile. <laughs> there are a lot more grosser things going on than a little bit of gas. Definitely. I would say like, as funny you mentioned that the somebody thought that the fart would make everything in the room non-sterile. <laughs> And I mean, that would be a pretty costly fart because you've got sometimes $20,000, $25,000 worth of stuff in there, maybe a little more. And if somebody farts and it ruins everything, then that would be pretty costly. But yeah, as far as the fart goes, you know, I've probably seen maybe two or three of them in my couple of months of procedures. Nothing too serious. And when it does happen, it's just kind of a good laugh. Nobody really, you know, a lot of times you can't even smell it if there is one. You know, there's a lot, like you said. There's, there's other smells going yeah, on. There's way crazier stuff going on than a fart. All right. Did y'all come up with any other questions? Um, yes. One question that we've been asked a few times. Um, when a patient has pa passed away during an operation, can the surgeon just take whatever organs they want for donation? The answer is no. We have to have consent um, from patient they have to be registered on a donor uh, on the donor list um, we can't just take willy-nilly whatever we want from every patient I would say like in my from what I've gathered is you really have to have consent for everything that's taken you know unfortunately you can't just go in there with a bucket and start taking what you want and need 
you know, and maybe in a perfect world you could, but in this situation there's a lot of, I guess, red tape, if you will, and there's a lot of consent forms that need to be signed, and, you know, a lot of people have religious, you know, boundaries that you have to respect, you know, and as far as taking blood, organs, anything like that. Yeah, legally everyone has their own bodily autonomy, and that's super important, especially in the OR. Everyone is in control of their own body, and we don't want to do anything that a patient does not consent to. All right, that was a very interesting question. I think that actually sums it up for today, and I think that's that's pretty much all we have for this episode of The Scrub Life. Signing off with me, Ryan Lamb. I'm Ashley Jones. And I'm Celia Sossman. Thank you very much, and we look forward to hearing you on the next show. And as always, have a great morning. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm really proud of these students. They are set to graduate at the end of next month, so wish them well. They're working really hard. Um, That'll do it for episode four of The Scrub Life. Please share with others. Um, Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. And of course, if you ever have any questions or ideas for upcoming episodes, you can always email us at thescrublifepodcast at outlook.com. Again, my name is Chris Blevins from Fort Worth, Texas, wishing you a great week and many more to come. Thanks.